Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And I hear quite a bit. People ask the question. They'll say this. They'll say, why shouldn't I just own the S&P 500 index? Now, the funny thing about this question is it's usually asked from one of two different perspectives. And depending on what perspective you're asking it from, it can have very different answers. So if you want to learn the fundamentals of building the right portfolio for your needs, as well as how to learn to identify common investment mistakes, then this episode is for you. And as always, the notes and resources from today's episode are available at readyforretirement.co, but let's jump right in. So as I mentioned, this question of should I just own the S&P 500 index, it's asked from two different perspectives and both address one side of the question. Number one, the first side is they're really just asking, should I own index funds? Meaning should I try to invest in things that look to outperform the market or should I simply own an index to try to capture the market and the returns it'll provide? Well, this one's pretty straightforward, and all you have to do is look at the data. And what the data says is going back to 2000, and the source for this is Dimensional Fund Advisors, if you look at all the stock funds starting in 2000 that were actively managed, meaning they didn't just invest in the market and let the market work for them, they they actively tried to outperform the market. Past 20 years of those funds, only 41% have even stayed in business, meaning they've, they've survived. The other almost 60% of them, they're not even in existence anymore. Then of those, only 17% of the beginners actually outperform their benchmarks. So what you see is that over the past 20 years, it's very, very rare for a fund to outperform the market. And even more rare is finding a fund that outperforms consistently. So you might find a fund that outperforms for one year or three years in a row or five years in a row, but that really tells nothing about what it's going to do over the next one year, three year or five year time period. So when the question of should I just own the S&P 500 index is asked from the perspective of should I try to beat the market or should I simply try to capture market returns through an index fund? In that sense, to me, I absolutely think it makes more sense to take the index type approach. If there is data that demonstrated that anyone could consistently beat the market, well, then paying a fee for them to be able to do so would absolutely be worth it. But no data shows that. And oftentimes the active fund managers, they have higher fees, there's higher expenses. And because of that, they tend to underperform. This is why you've seen so many hedge funds underperform in the past 10 years. Some of them may outperform the market before fees, but when you're charging 2% plus 20% of profits, as many hedge funds do, you just can't outperform after you have to get over that significant hurdle. So to me, this makes a pretty compelling case. Should you own an index or some other low cost fund option or more expensive fund that looks to beat the market? I personally favor the index approach, but this is only one part of the real question. Going back to the, should I just own the S&P 500 index? From the index standpoint, yes, you don't need to beat the market. You don't need to outperform in order to reach your goals. You simply need to capture the market returns. But this is where people get confused. The S&P 500 is not the entire market. So if you're asking, should I just own the S&P 500 index? And you're, you're truly asking because you just want to own those 500 companies then my answer is no. And this is a tough one because if you look over the past 10 years, as of the time that I'm recording this, so close to the end of 2020, the S&P 500 has done tremendously well. It's had a total return of 267% as of this recording over the past decade. That's good enough for an average return each year of about 13.8%. 
So if you can do that every single decade, and if you could guarantee that the S&P 500 were going to do that going forward, then great. That's more than enough to accomplish most people's retirement goals or other financial goals that they have. But the problem is we can't necessarily guarantee that. We certainly can't guarantee that. So for example, if you put a million dollars in the S&P 500 10 years ago, so say that was your retirement portfolio and you invested all of it in the S&P 500 and you didn't add a dime to it. Well, by now, by today, that million dollars would have turned to $2.67 million. So it did tremendously well, just the growth on it. Over time, the 13.8% that the S&P 500 has averaged the last 10 years, that's higher than its long-term average. The historical average of the S&P 500 is closer to 10% per year. So if you look over the past 80, 90, 100 years or so, the S&P has actually averaged close to 10% per year. So if we see that it's done 10% per year historically, if over the past 10 years it's done incredibly well, why wouldn't we just own that? Well, like I said, just because it's done that over the past 10 years does not mean that it will do that going forward. In fact, had you looked at the S&P 500, not these past 10 years, but the 10 years prior to that, so from 2000 to 2010, it did incredibly poorly. And in fact, most people call that decade the lost decade. There was ups and downs throughout. So of course, if you invested on January 1st of the year 2000 and you didn't touch your portfolio for the next 10 years, well, we just saw that if you did that starting in 2010 until today, as of this recording, your portfolio went up to from 1 million to 2.67. We'll do the same exercise, but starting on January 1st of 2000 instead of January 1st of 2010. And at the end of those 10 years, your million dollars turned to $910,000, meaning you lost an average of 1% per year, a total of 9% over the course of that decade. And all the while, not only was your portfolio going down in value, but inflation was going up. Your expenses were going up. So the portfolio value was decreasing while expenses were increasing. That's not a good combination, especially if you're looking to be able to live on this portfolio in retirement. So if we had some way of knowing in advance which decades were going to be like the one we're just coming out of, the 2010s, versus what decades were going to be like the 2000s, it would become pretty easy. Let's just own the S&P 500 when it's doing great, and let's just not own it when it's not doing great. But we already saw the stats. 83% of fund managers that tried to manage money this way, trying to time the market and pick stocks and outperform, they underperformed the simple unmanaged index over the past 20 years trying to do this. So it is nearly impossible. You cannot consistently outperform the market. So because of that, when people ask me, should I just own the S&P 500 index? That's why the answer is a resounding no when it's asked in that regard. I'm not saying the S&P 500 is bad. It's, it's a great index. In fact, it's not an investment in and of itself. It's just an index that tracks 500, really 505 of the biggest companies here in the U.S., so that should absolutely be a core central element to most people's diversified portfolios. But if that is all that you own, then what you're doing is you're subjecting yourself to periods of, yes, long outperformance, like we've seen over the past 10 years, but also of periods of long underperformance. And when you're retired, especially what you don't want is you don't want long swings of ups and downs. You want more consistent experience. You want to make sure that year in and year out, for the most part, you're well diversified into different types of investments that you can pull money from and income from when needed when you're no longer working. So if we go back to the 2000s decade, so from 2000 to 2010, we already saw that if all you owned was the S&P 500, you had a pretty poor experience, an experience so poor that it's now been labeled as a lost decade. But that's only if you'd own the S&P 500 and nothing else. If you also own some international investments, if you also own some emerging market investments, if you also own some value investments, some small companies, some real estate, some bonds, 
if you had diversified your portfolio throughout those, you still did well. You didn't meet the the long-term average maybe of the return from 2000 to 2010, the historical return of what those asset classes or those investments would have done, but you certainly made ground. You certainly kept advancing down the field while the S&P 500 by itself declined in value over that time period. And really what this all just comes down to is the S&P 500 by itself is just simply not diversified enough. So when you look at what the S&P 500 is, it's very diversified mix of big U.S. companies, but it's just that, big U.S. companies. So yes, you own 505 companies in that index. And so within that one asset class, sure, you are diversified. You've owned pretty much the whole thing, but it's still just one piece of the pie. So when you don't also have small companies and medium companies or international companies or emerging markets or real estate or bonds, these are all other types of asset classes. So even though with the S&P 500, if you own that, great, you have one very well diversified piece of the pie, but you're missing the rest of it. That's where everything else comes into play. So when you're asking about should you just own the S&P 500 index, just as a general response, the answer is probably going to be no for most people, but there is not one right answer. Most people I would say probably should have the S&P 500 index in their portfolio, But if you're a growth investor and say you're in the beginning stages of your career, you're investing, you have several years until you need your money, you're going to have one mix that maybe includes the S&P 500 that's very different than a retiree's mix of investments that also includes the S&P 500. So really what your job as an investor is, is to understand what is the right mix of investments? How much of it should be like the S&P 500 versus how much should be things not like the S&P 500? Because the intention of that is to have different types of things that perform differently in different market cycles and different business cycles with different events going on around the world. So just to recap what we've gone over so far, when you're asking about owning the S&P 500 index because you're asking about the index part of that question, yes, I think that's a great thing. You don't need to beat the market. You don't need to outperform the market. You don't need to identify the best fund to get you to your goals. In most cases, you just need to capture the market returns that are inherent in different investments. The second part though, that's where the diversification comes into play is if you just limit yourself to the S&P 500, you're likely not getting exposure to the types of investments that are going to take you to where you need to go, that are gonna allow you to get the growth or get the protection or get the income or whatever the objective is of your portfolio. That's where just the S&P 500 index by itself is likely not gonna be enough to build out a truly diversified portfolio. So I know this was a shorter episode today, a little bit more of a quick and to the point episode, but it's a question that I'll hear quite a bit, especially over the past 10 years or so, as the S&P 500 index has done so well, it has outperformed so many other parts of the market. The challenge as investors is to not allow ourselves to get too swayed by what's happened over the past five to 10 years. Yes, five to 10 years seems like a long time. It seems like that's long-term. It seems like, okay, things must be different. Why on earth would we expect for this outperformance to discontinue? Well, it will at some point, whether that's next year or the year after or or five years from now, there's always what's called a reversion to the mean of what's gone up will come down. What's been underperforming will later outperform. So being too concentrated in one thing, and especially that one thing that has been so hot the past 10 years, it's oftentimes not a recipe for success. So maintain a good diversified portfolio that is customized and unique to your specific goals. And in doing that, you'll have a lot more success than trying to capture the performance of just one asset class. So that is it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you've not already done so, please be sure to subscribe. Please be sure to leave a review. I would appreciate it very much and it'll help more people to find our show. And I'll see you all next week. 
Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.